take care of your supervisor and they'll take care of your people. Yeah. You know, it would um, seem so obvious, right? I, I can't, but the whole, the whole administrative stuff they've loaded on these guys is just ridiculous. I mean, it's just, it's just stupid. And, and they've purposely done it to get it out of headquarters. But they have, I mean, I, and that's what they say. And then you, you're like, well, think about this. You've given it to probably the least, a least, Least, not least capable, not least able. Least enabled. Least enabled. Least enabled. Least they have the least amount of time. I mean, and they have the least amount of equipment. You know, a lot of them don't even have desks. Yeah. I mean, or, or the team, the the team that we're working with, like I said, in South Africa, they don't have email addresses or or any form of IT at all. Um, geez, how do they? They got a ton of they got a ton of paperwork though. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to the Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. It is time once again for a pod. I'm so glad you're here. So you heard the introduction to this one, huh? <laughs> kind of weighty and heavy and interesting. I know you're interested. Don't even act like you're not. You can look away, but I, I know you're still listening. I can tell. I can tell. That's David Provan and myself chatting about the awful plight. Is that the right thing to say? The, is it awful plight? The, the difficult position in which we put the lead hands, the field supervisors, the, the middle leaders, and the fact that we, for the most part, don't look at ways to allow them to thrive and really function at effective levels. And I'm not sure why we don't do that. I mean, that's kind of what this podcast is going to pull the string on a little bit. You'll hear me ask that question about 11 times, maybe 12 if you're lucky. But ultimately, the premise that Dave made in that introduction, and it's the idea that if you take care of your supervisors, they're going to take care of your people. And so really, the group you want to thrive and survive and succeed the most are probably the people that lead the people who do the work, right? Because they're the first in line to actually dramatically impact how effective the work environment and work context is. It kind of makes sense. I mean, don't overthink it too much. Although, given the opportunity to overthink, huh, we'll never miss a chance to do that. I, there's no question about that. But I think that that premise is really interesting, and that's what we sort of pull the string on. That's that's what the podcast is going to be about, and it's a it's a pretty interesting little pod. I think you'll find it um, stimulating. You'll be stimulated, which sounds a bit naughty, but I don't mean it that way at all. So that's the pod. Everything else is moving along at lightning speed. Some of the world um, is back in lockdown, which is incredible and amazing to me at every level. And just if you would have told me 18 months ago this was going to happen, I don't know what I would have said to you, except that I remember early on in one of the first pods where we talked about the pandemic being told by an expert in these things, that this would be a three-year impact globally. And I thought, well, it can't be true. I mean, that's that's not, there's no way. Three years, that's crazy. And yet, I think, I don't know if I want this to be true, but I think maybe I was really wrong and that uh, there, there are some pretty significant impacts. And that idea is interesting to me as well because organizations are changing dramatically you you feel it because you're in them i mean you see it all the time 
And we're changing the way we do work with organizations in keeping them safe, secure, uh, resilient, all the things that we do. It's a race to kind of keep up with change. And I think that is kind of what maybe I'm going to, if I remember, I'll name this podcast because it is kind of safety at the speed of change. And that's probably never been more accurate than now, but it probably wasn't inaccurate before. Does that make sense? So other than that, life is grand and everything seems to be happy here. It's summer in the United States, and so that's a great time. I'm spending a tremendous amount of time on my little bicycle, riding around town, looking at stuff, getting yelled at by people, kind of a lot of yelling. I got pretty significantly yelled at uh, the other day, and, and I think they tried to run me over. But I don't know if they did or not, and I couldn't really tell, and so it, it hardly matters. But, uh, you know, the streets are places we have to share space with, even though that's not how they were truly designed, but it's changing because more and more of my friends and family and neighbors and vecinos and people around me are also taking to their bicycles and walking more. So that's one thing that's that's happened in the podcast that I think is worthwhile and interesting. So that's been going on here, and... Other than that, uh, man, just trying to, you know, stay busy and out of trouble. The, the two things. And, and I'm not sure if staying busy is as important as looking busy. So let me retract that. I'm trying to look busy and stay out of trouble. That's what I do. In fact, if you look in my uh, resume, my vitae, that's what it'll say. Looks busy and stays out of trouble. Who wouldn't want to hire that person, right? I mean, that has to make me attractive at some level to some company somewhere. So that is the uh, the story of the setup of today's podcast with uh, David Provan and ForgeWorks and all the good things that happened in Australia and beyond. David and I were talking anyway um, for other reasons, you know, just catching up reasons. And uh, we made a decision just to click the old microphone on and see what we could catch. And that is what you're about to listen to is just a discussion around kind of this idea of supervisors and creating environments where they can succeed, which then will dramatically impact the organization in being more successful. That's the premise and other stuff. And that's just the general catch all that allows me to sort of build in other more interesting things by which we can chat. So sit back and relax. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of it. Tell your friends. Uh, I'm always pleased that you're here. It makes a big difference. And I think you'll like this conversation really well. So this is in the summer, at least for me, the the North American summer of 2021, a conversation between David Provan and myself on uh, the world as it looks in the next six weeks. Here we go. Your team that, that you're leading and so having the organization realize just how hard that role is and how much organizational support uh, deserves to be wrapped around it is, is I think what has to get through to the executives. Why do you think they don't know? And I agree with you. I don't think they know. I mean, just think about all the administrative burden we've dumped on that middle group, those middle, those frontline guys. I mean, they're in charge of everything. Timekeeping. I mean, everything, performance, salary management, wellness, mental health, fitness for duty, work, production, quality. I could go on a long time, and I was just making crap up there. <laughs> yeah, look, they're, 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 they're 
responsible for all those things. And, uh, and I don't know whether organizations wrap much uh, capability development around that and, and clear expectations and, and all of the other support that, that they need. It just, everything sort of comes down this big funnel and lands on the supervisor's head, if you like, and then they've got to make sense of it and still get all the work done. Well, which is, which is, I, I, let me go back to my original question. Why don't senior leaders realize this is a problem? Because, I mean, I see it all the time, all the time. Like I, I heard an HR person say, you know, we've removed as much of the administrative burden as we can out of our shop. Well, okay, it's got to go somewhere. I mean, hello, you're, you're dumping it to the people who are probably least apt, least desired, and have the least additional sort of leverage time to do this kind of work and you've dumped it all on them because it's not on you yeah i I don't know whether where whether executives think too much about the frontline management so i think they've they've increasingly been thinking a lot about the worker and and we see that in a lot of organizations the executives are really focused on on the experience of of the individual worker uh, I've almost bypassed that, that layer of supervision Just said, oh, well, they're management. So they, um, they maybe don't need much as much care and attention because they're management. Um, we, we need to worry more about the, the workforce. And I say, well, no, you don't. If you worry, if you worry and get your supervision, right, then they'll take care of the workforce for you. Yeah. I mean, I think you're exactly right. I think the least, the least paid, what's the word for that? The least attention paid is probably to those frontline leaders and, and my guess is, and I could be really wrong on this. I'd love to pick your brain on it. I just don't think I don't I don't think they think about them. I, I almost like they're the lesser of two evils. Yeah, absolutely. And then when we give them, because uh, we, I mean, we we've been sort of thinking a lot about building. Uh, well, we built a, a, a training program and 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 written a book called called Shape Supervision about about how to do this uh, and. Uh, when I say we, uh, Ralph Shreve and I, who's sort of with me in Safety Futures, um, and I mean he's been involved in sort of training, safety leadership training for more than ten thousand people in in high hazard roles and or managing high hazard activities. And um, he was telling me he asked this question every single training session, like who feels confident in their ability to lead uh, the safety of their team, and and who's been given any sort of training in or, or development in how to do that and always more than 60 or 70 percent of people on those programs say i don't have the confidence and and no one supported me to um to know how to do this and how to do this well so and the ones that have been given training programs say we've just been sheep dipped in like a behavioral cultural right, leadership right, yeah. thing yeah. in a classroom for half a day and then sent back out um in um to catch up on all the work we've missed. It's, it's so interesting to me because that's shocking. That data is shocking. It's not surprising, but it's hor- it's horrific to hear. I, I was just working with an organization. I probably shouldn't say this because this will sort of uh, expose me a little, but their big thing is they want to be a great place to work. And I had to talk to the executive team and I said, I, I think the first thing you need to be is a great place to be a leader. Because if it's a great place to be a leader, then it's a great place to work. But if it's not a great place to be a leader, and then I gave them some monitoring tools, like how many people apply for leadership roles, how long do people stay in leadership roles, are leadership roles seen as a true promotion, um, you know, those kind of monitoring uh, tools that you can sort of pulse 
how successful the organization is in setting up their leaders. And it, it, I don't know if it went anywhere. I thought it was really brilliant. I was really, I thought it was like the best thing I've ever said that day. And you know, I keep score that way. That's, that's what I do is keep score on the best things I say every day. <laughs> God, why did I do that? Um, but I'm not sure it goes anywhere, but I actually think that's, that's the key. The cultural key, the cultural component is really that frontline leadership. If, if they're set up to succeed, then the whole organization thrives. If they're not set up to succeed, then the whole, whole organization struggles. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that. And, and the, the piece of research in the safety space that I've been involved in, like researching what encourages people to stop their work and things like that, uh, their whole experience of work is shaped around their direct manager. Sure. And, and so it, it becomes the most important uh, enabler of, of culture, of productivity, of safety, and, and all of those things, because it's the, it's the role that sets the expectations and, and coordinates day in, day out work activities around the hazards that can hurt people. So you're not, you're not going to fix the middle managers by fixing the middle managers. So, so my point would be their most, their most responsible, let's say this most accountable, but least empowered. Right. I mean, it's so the way we have to fix that is we have to fix it at the, at the senior leader level. They have to, they have to make that change at the senior leader level and we have to somehow illustrate the importance of this change. And, and that's comes right back to my question. I keep asking because clearly I am fixated on this. Why is it, why is it they don't create an environment where those people can succeed? I see it all the time. I mean, in all kinds of industries. Is it too hard? Uh, I, think I, I don't know. It didn't, I, I is it too hard? Well, I think there's a lot of uh, maybe bias and assumptions that we hold over that that group of people in our organization. So I hear companies tell me that uh, this person was a really good technical operator. Right. So we promoted them and they don't have the leadership skills, uh, but they've got the technical skills or they were just next in line to come off the tools and, and be the leader. And, and all these um, reasons as if like maybe the organization feels like they, um, they can't, work much with those people we see a lot of biases in organ i mean we see a lot of biases in life and everywhere but <laughs> life is um, filled with bias yes see you know senior management a lot of the time this would probably get me into trouble senior management a lot of the time you know are very judgmental about people who are different to them um you know judge their work judge their capacity to learn um so i i, I just i just don't think that um senior leaders think enough about how they how they can develop, you know, all of those front level managers. Well, so I think you're right. If they don't look like me, if they haven't had my development path, if they aren't as smart as me, if they didn't go to the schools I went to, then they're not me. So that bias is absolutely true. But I kind of wonder if part of it is that we've successfully got them to sort of um, think about blaming the worker. And so now they're less apt to blame the worker. And what I think happens is it's kind of a, if blaming the worker is the fundamental attribution bias, then blaming the leader, the supervisor, must be the secondary attribution bias, that they have to blame somebody, so they'll blame it on bad leadership. I mean, that's it, you kind of see it turfing up the organization. We can't blame the worker, so let's blame the supervisor. Yeah, I've definitely seen that in, in some incident investigations in organizations that have been saying, um, 
that we're sort of seeing that lack of leadership or lack of supervision or, or whatever the term we want to use show up in incident investigations as causes or co contributing factors and and that and so I, I definitely agree with you uh, with that but also I think uh, did one work with one organization at senior leadership level and and just exploring the understanding of work as done and particularly hazardous activity that had caused an incident and and talk to the work because senior leaders were were obviously formed a very quick view of there's no way the worker should have done that. It was so black and white yeah, yeah. at a senior leadership level. And then we talked to the crews and they were like, well, understand the messy details of the work, talk to other crews. And they'd say, yeah, we work like that all the time. Yeah, that's how we have to do it to get the work done. And as we went up the, the chain, it was sort of like this linear path. The further we got away from the work, the more black and white everything became. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, so I think senior leaders, maybe they have an assumption that frontline supervision is easy is 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 black and white and easy and and they're doing the hard jobs as senior leaders and i think until they flip and say well our job as a senior leader is actually pretty easy compared to the day in day out jobs that our that our frontline leaders um you know have to do um i think, I think once they start yeah uh, i think you're on a point there because i think as events move up the chain of command they're they're terribly oversimplified i mean you know they you know the worker had a choice to either isolate or not isolate the worker chose to not isolate so that's how come we're in this trouble and the context rich sort of the blue line story that exists in reality is kind of lost in the translation up the chain but i i think this is a really profound i think it's cool what you're doing with your little cadre of people it's not little actually your giant cadre of people that you're you're taking on this journey with you that's really cool to me it, anything we can do to help people understand that if their leadership in their organization, if their leadership doesn't thrive, then the organization will not thrive. That seems like a, a pretty straightforward message. I mean, that doesn't seem to be coded in a lot of uh, uh, business speak, you know. Look how over, uh, over-consumed. I just did an investigation where we looked at span of control, how many people each supervisor managed. And then we looked at geography of control, how far apart they were. And when you looked at the span of control, it was incredible. It was huge, like 100 people. But the geography was like, it, it was a gigantic, gigantic facility where they have 100 people spread out over 40 miles. I mean, you can't succeed at that. No, no one can succeed at that. Even with a helicopter and a jet pack, you're probably going to suck at that. Yeah, we're doing, we're doing it. We, I mean, that's a mate. <laughs> It's incredibly challenging. I, I was going to share a story which looks easy compared to that, but we're working with a company in South Africa uh, operating mines and, and things like that. And their supervisors have got at least 40 people spread over, yeah, you know, hundreds of kilometers of, of haul roads and, you know, and, and, and mine sites and processing facilities. And like when you talk to that supervisor and you say something basic like, do you get a chance every day to talk to each of your people? And there's like, no. Well, do you get a chance every week to talk to each of your people? No. It's like, well, who's who, who's leading these these workers? Who's supporting them? Who's understanding their challenges and um, making sure they're set up to do their work? And those spans of control are just ridiculous if you want to achieve sort of good outcomes in your business. That's crazy. That's amazing. So, what do you think the future holds? Are are you are you positive about the future? What do you think? Yeah. Oh, look, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about, about the, the future. I just, uh, I hope in safety, we can keep pace with 
all of the rest of the change in organizations. That's my worry is like, you've got this, this risk curve in organizations and then our capability curve that sits somewhere underneath it. And the Delta between, you know, the risks that our people face and our capability to, to understand and, um, and be successful around them. My fear is that that gap widens, not because we don't get better at safety, but we don't get better fast enough um, in the changing world that we're, you know, that we're in. Managing safety at the speed of change. So there you have it. What do you think? I really am kind of in love with my phrase, managing safety at the speed of change. I mean, I don't know if I'm in love with it like it's the name of a book or a movie or I'm going to have a tattoo of it. I'm not that in love with it. Don't get me wrong. But it is kind of a pretty good way to capture where we are on this part of the voyage because things are moving really fast, lightning fast, zippy fast. And because they're moving so fast, it's really put us in a position where in order to keep up with the changing risk picture that workers are dealing with, and that really has changed a lot, you guys. You know that better than I do. And in order to create the potential for us to at least succeed, at least, if not thrive, if not get better, then we have to really think through in great detail what's next. And keeping up is difficult. It's the old duck. It looks calm on the top, but the the little feet are digging in the water as fast as they can. It's, it's that idea that I think all of us are a part of. And near as I can tell, the change that's happened is significant enough that we probably won't go back to the comfort levels that we probably felt pre-crisis. I mean, I'm not sure we really felt them, but looking back retrospectively, it seems like they were there. I, I don't know if they were or not. But now we're in a position where we're really digging ahead and moving forward and thinking about what that forward motion looks like. And it was really good to talk to David about that. I think it's interesting that that group, that that middle layer of leadership, the clay layer often is what we'd call it at Los Alamos, they've been identified as significant on the success path for a long time. And we really haven't cracked the code or what that means. And I wonder if the reason we haven't cracked the code is because we really are trying to fix the people who do the leadership jobs instead of actually fixing the context around which mid-level leaders lead. So we're maybe falling for the very thing we talk about all the time, whereas we're, we're, we're asking mid-level leaders to be better. When in reality, we probably need to be looking at the environment they set in, decluttering their work, understanding the level of just effort they do every single day, and creating an environment where they can succeed. And maybe it's a little bit of physician heal thyself. We should look at what we talk about or have talked about quite successfully, I think, around the workforce and maybe take those ideas and move them up into leadership at all levels of the organization. Because I think a question worth asking, and David sort of alluded to this, is is it fun to be a leader here? Is, is, is this fun? Is this a, a good job? And then you can really start to peel away the layers if they say it's not fun or it's not satisfying. Do we pay them enough? Do, do they get enough resources? Do they have enough time? Do they have enough equipment? Do they have enough capability to actually succeed in the very difficult job 
of managing workers, right? And I mean not managing workers' behavior, but managing the systems and context in which the workers are placed in order to be successful. Do our workers have the essential controls they need in order to start a job safely? And if not, are our middle-level, I can't even talk, our middle-level leaders empowered to get them and solve problems in real time? And that idea, I think, is a worthwhile idea. It certainly is the premise of this discussion today, which we didn't really have an agenda because we didn't really plan on doing this conversation. So I, I would love to tell you we rehearsed this and thought about it a lot before we started the conversation, but that would be a big fat lie. We just started the conversation, and this is what rolled out. And I think this is a very interesting thing to roll out and makes a difference in how we look at the future and how we think about that specific layer of the organization succeeding. Because Dave's right. If your mid-level leaders, if your field superintendents, your, your senior technicians, your team leaders, your group leaders, those mid-level leaders, if they succeed, the entire organization succeeds. And there are very few places you can look at that and say, yeah, that's, that's actually pretty accurate. But that's pretty darn accurate. And that's worthwhile. So that was the conversation. And I'm sure glad you got to be a part of it. That'll do it for today. And that's a good way to do it. I love these summer ones. Short, sweet, to the point. Here we go. So learn something new every single day. Bet you did today. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be good to each other. Be kind to each other. And check in on each other. Let's create environments where people can succeed. That's important. And as always, remember, be safe.